Welcome to Corvette Today, the podcast that talks about everything Corvette, with your host Steve Garrett, MC and DJ at one of the largest Corvette weekends in the country, Corvette Fun Fest, president of the Corvette Club of Kansas City, Missouri, and radio disc jockey at the number one radio station in Kansas City for over 40 years. Here's Steve Garrett. Hey, thanks for listening to Corvette Today, the podcast that talks about everything Corvette. I'm your host, Steve Garrett. I appreciate you tuning in. You can listen to Corvette Today on all sorts of platforms like iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, now iHeartRadio, Anchor.fm, Breaker, Public Radio, Pocket Casts, and Overcast. You can also listen on your smart device. Just say, hey, Alexa, or hey, Google. Play the podcast called Corvette Today, and you're connected. Also, visit my new website, CorvetteTodayPodcast.com. You can sign up for Corvette Today notifications, updates, and information also at CorvetteToday.ck.page. I'd like to thank our flagship sponsors of Corvette Today, Hendrick Chevrolet of Kansas City. Hendrick Chevrolet is the largest seller of Corvettes in the Kansas City area, and they ship nationwide. Visit ChevyUSA.com or call 913-384-1550. That's 913-384-1550. Another flagship sponsor of Corvette Today is MidEngineCorvetteForum.com. If you'd like to join this new vibrant forum that focuses on the new mid-engine C8 Corvette, it's absolutely free to join this friendly community. You'll meet a lot of fellow Corvette enthusiasts like yourself at midenginecorvetteforum.com. I am so excited to have this man on the podcast. This man represents Chevrolet Marketing and the Corvette customer with Corvette Engineering Team for the current and future Corvettes. His job is to make sure product decisions that support making Corvette customers happy. He comes up with new ideas. He makes requests for product improvement, new models, special editions, and also creates market specifications for the engineers to follow. He uses clinic, research, and enthusiast data. He also creates a desired option packaging and customer order guides. He's been working with Corvette since 2001 and been with Chevrolet since 1988. He is the Corvette and Camaro marketing manager and product manager, Mr. Harlan Charles. Harlan, thank you so much for taking the time to be on Corvette today. Well, thanks for having me. What a great introduction. I need you to do that for me all the time. So I appreciate that. With my 43 years in Radio Harlan, anytime you need me to be someplace, I'd be happy to do that introduction for you any place, anytime. That's awesome. Appreciate that. You bet. Hey, tell us about when you knew Corvette was the car for you. Was it when you were a little boy? Yeah, actually, I think I always loved cars, as a lot of boys do and girls. But growing up, my dad did a lot of traveling to Europe. And he brought me back these cards. It was like a card game. And it had cars, sports cars, pictures of the car, all the specs. And, you know, in Europe, they do very nationalistic. You know, they have the little countries, the flags where all the cars are from. The only American car in there was the Corvette. And I thought that was really cool that here's a car that even in Europe is great enough. They want it as part of the special cars and part of this deck of cards, I guess. But I just always thought that was cool. And then uh, growing up, I think we had a neighbor that had a yellow 68 or 69 Corvette that I would just sit on the curb and stare at when I was a little boy. So I always followed Corvette. And I have to say that one of the most exciting ones that really hit me was later on, actually, I think it was in college, the first time I laid eyes on an 84 Corvette. 
after reading about it and seeing it there just parked on the street. It just seemed so low and exotic. People forget how new those cars were back then, how much of a big step up it was for the third gen that had been out for so long to have a car again that was. So those are kind of the ones that stick in my mind growing up that really cemented that this was my favorite car. Now, you've been with Chevrolet for over 32 years, but your training in college is with mechanical engineering. As a matter of fact, you have 11 patents of your own. Talk about those and how you got your first job with Chevrolet. Well, yeah, actually, I started at Design Center or Design Staff, as it was called back then. And that was always my dream to work for Chevrolet or to work for the Corvette or even to work at General Motors. To get into the auto industry, actually, I moved to Michigan after graduation and had a job at Johnson Controls, which does a lot of the car seating and still does, just to get in the auto industry. It was very hard to get into General Motors. As luck would have it, a neighbor of my father's name was Julius Teitelbaum. He had retired from GM Design and actually worked on the 53 Corvette clay model and wood buck that they used to make the show car. Wow. And I told him about my dream and everything. He goes, well, just send a note to Charlie, who was Chuck Jordan, VP of Design. And I wrote this. I spent days doing this. I wrote this letter about how it was my dream. And I did end up getting an interview to come to GM Design. And it took several months. Again, it was a tough time. And I called every week and eventually got into this vehicle concepts area. And our job was to come up with creative solutions for design problems. And that's where most of my patents came from. One, for example, was of a suspension design. This was before the days of electronic variable suspensions. It was a mechanical steer-sensitive strut that changed the damping of the strut based on the steering angle of the car. Bottom line is it allowed the wheels not to jounce up as much into the body when testing, which allowed a tighter wheel-to-body relationship, which is a look that the designers always want. You don't want to have that off-road look. You want the car to be tight, wheel-to-body. And this, the idea was that. And that was one of the ones I was proud of. Working in that group was a great opportunity to show work on both engineering and learn about design. I actually went to, uh, during that time, uh, CCS, a Center of Creative Studies in Detroit, you know, where most of the designers that work at GM Design go to. So got automotive design credit there. So it was really a great experience just being at GM Design Center, a place that I had read about growing up in books and seeing the famous staircase and the famous studios with the big Chevrolet logo or Pontiac or Cadillac, you know, all the different divisions, being in that building and getting to being behind the closed doors was such a thrill. Now talk about the process you took because you're in General Motors, you're in Chevrolet, but your dream was obviously Corvette, as you said. Talk about the process it took to get to your current job of product manager for Corvette, because that's a great story. Yeah, so I always followed Corvette, even when it wasn't my direct assignment at design. I was always going in the studio, sneaking around, seeing what was going on, made a lot of friends at the design studio. But later, I got involved in more of the marketing side. Uh, The group that I was working with, they decided, you know what, that's really an engineering function. We're going to dissolve that. Engineers should be working on engineering, not designers. So there was a group also at Design that worked on market research where we would take out the clinic, the scale models or the full-size models of the cars and take them to customers and see what they liked and didn't like. So I got involved in that, which led to a lot of the people in that group graduated to go to the product manager position. And the first opportunity I had was 
Oldsmobile division, maybe some of you guys remember, the Oldsmobile Intrigue. So I became the product manager of the Intrigue and being co-located with the Corvette team at the Vehicle Engineering Center at the Tech Center. And I got to meet uh, Dave Hill, who was chief engineer of Corvette at that time. So Dave's wife actually liked the Oldsmobile Intrigue at that time. Uh, people didn't remember, well, it was a pretty great uh, mid-sized car. And Dave's wife was getting one and we talked. And I told Dave, you know, I would really be my dream someday to be a part of your team. And um, I told him about my Corvette experience and all that. And basically he said, well, you know, hey, maybe someday right now we're pretty good where we're going, but you never know. So there was years later the posting, you know, GM has these postings for, and I saw that Corvette product manager. And I called, I said, is this for real or you already have somebody? <laughs> no, it's an open posting. So they had, uh, I think it was around two to 300 people had applied for it. Wow. And they decided to interview five. I found out later I was the last one because actually halfway through my interview, Dave Hill, he left to go to Carlisle. They were doing Corvettes at Carlisle and he wanted to make get a head start in the drive. So he left halfway through, and I'm thinking, well, that doesn't bode well for me if he they wouldn't even stay to the end. Right. But ultimately, about a couple weeks later, I kind of resigned myself. I guess I didn't get it, and then I was told I did. I was just over the moon. I mean, it was just like one of the greatest days ever to get that position. And as soon as I did, I went into the studio where they were starting to work on the sixth generation Corvette. And Tom Peters, as you may know, is the design director, who I knew from working at Design, great guy. Somebody in the studio said, you're not allowed in here. This is a secret. And Tom Peters, not even knowing anything, said, hey, I know Harlan loves Corvette. He can come in here anytime he wants. Wow. And I told him, well, I'm going to be here a lot more because I'm on the program now. And that was just great. He was just great welcoming me in, and that was a great experience. That's terrific. What a great story. I know you own Corvettes yourself. Talk about what you currently own. Talk about what you've had that might not be in the garage right now. And what Corvettes, maybe past or present, would you like to own? Well, that's a great question. So when I started at GM Design, my first goal was to get a Corvette of my own. I ended up buying a 90 Corvette, 1989, and I had no business affording it at my age. Somebody told me even then that I skewed the average age down a few years single-handedly. <laughs> I still have that car to this day. It's a, a white 1990 Corvette with blue interior, and it's been to all the states, provinces, so I still my garage, still take it out once in a while. So I had that car for a while. I had a Camaro, too. A little bit later on, I kept that car. I got a 99 silver Corvette when the fifth gen came out. It was really a, a big thing. So I wanted a silver, just like the poster. So got the silver 99. I had that up until I started the Corvette product manager job, which is around uh, 2001. And since then, I've been lucky enough, you know, being on the program, we get the, the cars every year. Right. So I basically had every new Corvette since 2001, sometimes more than one a year, which is the greatest thing ever, really, to be able to experience that. And some of the most fun was like for the first time, say it was back in 04. I had one of the first of the sixth generation cars driving it around, drove it to Death Valley. Wow. And then the seventh generation, we had the number eight, eighth one made. And we drove to New England states. It was a beautiful blue seventh generation. And then the greatest thing about this one being an all new, the mid-engine Corvette being so new, we actually had a, a new plan to get into cars before it was even revealed. So we're driving, I was driving camouflaged Corvettes around, got spotted by a few people, as you may know, but right. 
getting to take that car on trips, but for some strange experiences. But it was a lot of fun to be in the secret car as well. I can imagine. That would be a lot of fun. Like you said, you've traveled almost the entire United States and part of Canada in the Corvettes. You like taking pictures of the cars in specific places. Isn't that correct? Yeah, we like to, again, I love to do travel. A lot of times you try to get pictures with capitals. But one of the things that I've been doing over the last few years, my wife really likes to visit colleges and universities, likes that college atmosphere. Mm-hmm. You know, so we started doing that. And then I'm a football fan. I watch football. So I started taking pictures of the Corvette in front of all the famous college football stadiums. Nice. You know, in the Southeast Conference or the Big 12, you know, Big right. 10. Right. You know, every time we go to a, an area, we go there and I've got to find the football stadium. And usually, you know, it's the summer, so nobody's there. So you can get drive right up to it. And a lot of times try to get the, the ideal picture, like right in front of the stadium. That's great. You know, with the with the signs that they've won national championships and all that. So I do have that on Facebook. I got a little folder with uh, Corvette goes to college with Corvette in front of a bunch of all the famous uh, football places. I will have to check that out. That'd be a lot of fun. We have the University of Kansas and the University of Missouri close to where I am here in Kansas City, Missouri. So it'd be a lot of fun to see all the pictures you've taken and the places you've been. Oh, yeah. I got the University of Kansas, University of Missouri. Great. So I have some, a lot of those. One of the things you're saying that I forgot to answer was you said, what would you like to own? I think my dream would to have, and I just took a picture. I have models of all these. I think my ultimate dream would be to have one pristine example of each Corvette generation. I mean, if I could have my ultimate fantasy, I think that would be so cool. I think that's the same for me. I've got a C7. Actually, mine was a very early production as well. It was built in the first week of production. It's number 1,445. But I'd love to have a C1 through a C8 and have each model represented in the garage. Actually, I'd like to get two C1s because I'd like to have a 53, 54, or a 55, and then a 56 through 62 because that body change was so drastic, I guess you could say, because it seems like the 53, 54, and 55 should have been one generation, and then the 56 through 62 should have been a second generation. You kind of feel the same way, don't you? Yeah. I agree. We're talking with Harlan Charles, the product manager for Corvette on Corvette Today. Coming up in segment number two, we're going to talk about Harlan's time with the Corvette team. You're listening to Corvette Today, the podcast. Yogi Berra once said, if you don't know where you're going, you'll probably end up there. At True Wealth and Company, we take that to heart. See, at True Wealth and Company, we believe your retirement lifestyle travels through two doors. Door number one, the blue door, gives you more options, financial freedom. Your money outlives you. Every happiness you wish for in life is through the blue door. Door number two, the red door, is where you outlive your money. You rely on family, friends, or even the state to take care of you. At True Wealth and Company, we're not just financial planners. The best way to walk through the blue door is to have a written plan. Make a work-optional lifestyle a reality with our proprietary True Life Map formula. Look towards your future with anticipation, not apprehension. Having a rock-solid fiduciary partner like True Wealth and Company is essential to effective financial planning. There's no winging it. There's nothing left to chance. Look, we don't want you to become another Yogi Berraism. Give us a call today at 913-653-TRUE. Visit us online at retirewithtrue.com. Start your financial independence and work-optional lifestyle today. Investment advice offered through True Wealth and Company, LLC, a registered investment advisor in the state of Kansas. This is the Corvette Today podcast with Steve Garrett. 
You're listening to Corvette Today, the podcast. I'm your host, Steve Garrett. My special, special guest is product manager for Corvette, Harlan Charles. Harlan, let's talk about your time with the team in Corvette because you started in the C5 era. Which generation saw the greatest leap in design and technology, and which generation are you the most proud of? Well, that's an easy question. It's the current eighth-generation Corvette. Going to the mid-engine design was something that's been a dream for quite a while, something that I worked on to propose back in 2005, and it's just the trials and tribulate <laughs> trials to get it to this point have been incredible. But to see it actually hit the light of day and to see our team, our engineering design, manufacturing teams create this masterpiece has been great. The goal that we really did was to create a car that had all the benefits of Corvettes and the benefits of exotic supercars right. and combine that with things people love about Corvette. And I'm so proud of it, the attention that it is getting, and the car is totally new. I think the only part we carried over is the uh, roof latch on the removable roof panel. Everything else is 100% new. The technology from the new dual clutch transmission to the uh, instrument cluster, you know, 12 inch, uh, the different displays and Z mode and the new front lift system with memory. There's so many things that you could list on this car that really take Corvette to the next level. And I think the thing that I'm most proud of is not only do the loyal customers who've been, you know, were promised this car from Zora and so forth, have been waiting for this their whole life. There's a whole new generation of new enthusiasts that are discovering Corvette for the first time right. and seeing it as a clean breakaway from the past. Yes. And are really going to become new Corvette fans and enthusiasts and customers for the future, which is what we need. I know you're listening to this podcast thinking that's exactly what I want to hear from a man like Harlan Charles. In segment number three, don't worry worry because we're going to focus specifically on the new mid-engine C8 in the next segment of Corvette Today, the podcast. But Harlan, part of your job is bringing out special edition Corvettes like the Grand Sport. Now, I know that's got to be a difficult thing to get done. Talk about what it takes to get that process through and bring these special edition cars to market. Yeah, I think the specials have been a Corvette staple. It's always to have something new every year. And uh, my biggest partner in crime on that one is Kirk Benyon, the exterior design manager. And we always are scheming things together on different specials to do. The first one was the 2004 commemorative edition. And we just followed up the 50th anniversary. And some people uh, may not realize, but at one time, the 04 was going to be the 6th gen. And with 9-11 and things happening, we got pushed that out a year. So we had to come up with something exciting for the 04. So the idea, we were just, we had just won two Le Mans races in a row. So the idea, we had this new color called Le Mans Blue and the idea of combining that with and doing a racing celebration car to close out the fifth generation. And also we did a special Z06 with the first carbon fiber hood in mass production. But the Grand Sport you mentioned is a great one. It's the idea of the Grand Sport started as a special, but it actually became a model that people love. And actually, for a while, is the best-selling Corvette model when we came out with it in 2010. And some of the ideas for that came from, you know, everybody loved the Z06, the way it looked, the way it handled. You know, the issue back then was, though, you, if you wanted a Z06, you had to be hardcore, manual transmission only. You had the aluminum frame, no removable roof, no convertible. It was also, you know, more expensive, too. So we thought if we could combine the chassis handling and then with the standard engine so we could offer automatic or manual could offer coupe with removable roof the steel frame back then and the convertible model 
We actually had a car that had a unique combination. Okay, this is 2010, zero to 60, four seconds, 1G capability, and 26 miles per gallon was the rating on the highway then. That was kind of a unique sports car, all well-rounded, did all those things well. And it was a recreation of the Grand Sport. And I think it became a lot of customers' favorite car to the point where even in the seventh generation, where we had a Z06 available, now finally, you know, we had an eight-speed automatic available. Right. Seventh generation, we had a convertible, removable roof. We designed the new aluminum frame to handle all that. There was still a cry out for the Grand Sport. People wanted to see that. So in 2017, lightning struck again. We came out with a new Grand Sport on the 7th Gen, which also became incredibly popular and a lot of people's favorite Corvette. And when it was introduced, you know, Car and Driver had a cover. It said, best all-around Corvette is the new uh, Grand Sport. Very proud of that. You know, some of the other ones I think that are really worth mentioning, uh, really proud of the ones we did with that are racing associated, but... The 2012 Centennial, where we celebrated 100 years of Chevrolet and featured uh, Louis Chevrolet logos on the car. And the 2013 60th, where we had the 427 convertible. That was a great one also. That's going to be a Corvette trademark or um, part of Corvette for years to come. It's always an opportunity. People always want to have something that's a little special. We did the, the C7R edition in 2016. Again, with the racing connection. Right. So there's so many to mention, but between Kirk and I and the rest of the design team, and Taj has been supportive and the chief in engineering has supported doing these. And I think the customers that own them, it's always going to be a special car. Most of them are limited. And you always see when we go to the Corvette events, I'm sure you have, when you meet somebody that has one of these special cars, they always have a story about it and they're always so proud of it. So it's really a fun thing. You talk about Taj and Kirk. Talk about your relationship with the Corvette team, because getting these special edition cars and even special features like the performance data recorder, it takes a lot of integration with everybody on the team to introduce it, get it developed, bring it to market and carry it through to the final product. Isn't that right? Oh, absolutely. The lucky thing is, that, of course, Taj Ducker, a great chief engineer. He's a great leader great engineer, very creative, and Kirk Benyon, one of the best designers in the world. And he also understands the technical side, you know, for aerodynamics and likes the association with racing. And I have to say they're probably my two best friends in the whole world as well. So the nice thing about the Corvette team, even Page and Kirk and the rest of the team, is we can uh, make suggestions for ideas in each other's area. So Kirk could have a marketing idea, Taj could have a design idea. I could have an engineering idea. It doesn't matter. We all don't worry about the traditional wall sometimes and we collaborate. Just want to do the best that we can. So having those personal relationships with the team members as well is actually helps, I think, the car itself become a better car and helps these projects become more successful. That's why the car is so great, because you guys have such a cohesive team that comes up with great ideas for everything about the car. That's why the car is so darn popular and so wonderful. Yeah, I think so, too. And I appreciate you saying that. And the nice thing, too, I think that we found when we go to customers, you know, we had customers that come out of other sports cars, maybe some of the European cars, and they go, I can't talk to the people at Porsche or the people at Ferrari, you know, one-on-one, but we make ourselves, you know, Taj and Kirk, myself, the rest of the team, we make ourselves available. Maybe not this year with everything going on this year, but in general, we try to make ourselves available at the different events throughout the year and customer and love to uh, interact with customers. 
we don't have to do a lot of like the traditional market research clinics that other programs do. As you know, you come right to us. We know what you like, what you don't like. Instantly, you read the forums, go to the museum, go to the races, and we have instant feedback right away. So it makes it us knowing the customer and us all being customers ourselves makes doing these things collaborative efforts a lot easier to execute. That's what I love about having a Corvette is the team relationship and the relationship that you guys have with the customer itself. It's so wonderful to see you guys at different events like the birthday bash at the National Corvette Museum. You're very approachable. Everybody is easy to talk to. You can give suggestions and ideas and you guys actually use them, which is fantastic. It's amazing that you can do that and get immediate customer feedback and carry that through to future cars or future models or future special edition cars as well. Now, let me ask you one thing that's really interesting with me because I'm a big modification and accessory guy. Let's talk about accessories and options for Corvette because it seems like Chevrolet is kind of getting more active in that area recently. Talk about some of the aftermarket companies and the accessorizing that Corvette is doing and kind of stepping up that game. Yeah, so on the accessories, you know, everybody wants to make the Corvette their own. You know, that's been a thing. You know, in the past, maybe there was a feeling like, it's perfect, why are you touching it? But I think over the years, we've embraced that. Everybody wants their car to be special. And you can see that, especially with the new 2020 Corvette. But even in the past few years, we've really expanded the accessories and options. I mean, working Rosanna Dignan is my partner on accessories. She's been a great one to work with. And I mentioned Kirk at Design and Umberto Ortiz, also a design. We really want the Corvette to compete with the greatest sports cars in the world. So we take page from, you know, what the Europeans are doing and the way that you can do either through factory options or accessories. As you know, lots of carbon fiber options available, ground effects, spoilers. Through the factory, you can get different stitch colors on your interior, brake colors, the exterior seatbelt colors we've added this year. We've had some things that have done so well. Unfortunately, frankly, we have shortages of them in the new car, you know, the high wing and some of the ground effects. Right. Uh, very expensive options. They were doing so well with everything going on with the COVID situation. Some of those we couldn't keep up with. The accessory wheels, the black wheels have done well. And it's a lot of fun to go on the visualizer. If people haven't done it, I encourage them to do it. Go to Chevrolet.com. Go on either the Build Your Own or later on there's a part that says uh, Design Your Own, which is more of a 3D visualizer. You can get on there and you can just have fun creating through all these different options your ideal Corvette. I think it's a big part of the Corvette experience is merely personalizing it and making it your own. I really love that about Corvette. It's so customizable, and I love having the new manufacturing OEM available options, like you said, like the high-wing spoiler, the front splitter, the side skirts, and things like that. I think those are really wonderful. It just makes the car more OEM. It makes it more special because it's a Corvette product, and I like having as much Corvette product on the car as possible because it's more true to form. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. You're listening to Corvette Today, the podcast. I'm your host, Steve Garrett. We are talking with Corvette product manager, Harlan Charles. Coming up in the third segment, you've been waiting for it. We'll talk about the mid-engine C8 exclusively in segment number three of Corvette Today, the podcast. Fact. According to the March of Dimes, 40,000 babies are born each year in the United States with heart defects. 
At Athletic Testing Solutions, we take that, well, to heart. ATS offers the ATS Heart Check, a series of non-invasive tests to identify possible hidden heart defects in your kid's heart. Frequently, the symptoms of sudden cardiac arrest are masked or misdiagnosed. The ATS Heart Check can help detect congenital heart problems or abnormalities that don't show up during regular checkups or a sports physical. The ATS Heart Check is a terrific option, and it gives you peace of mind that your child is heart safe. Sudden cardiac arrest claims on average 130 young lives every week. Don't let your kids be a statistic. The ATS Heart Check takes only 20 to 30 minutes and it utilizes an EKG, an echocardiogram ultrasound of the heart. Visit ATSHeartCheck.com. Schedule your child today. Call toll-free 888-537-2597. That's 888-537-2597. You're listening to the Corvette Today Podcast with Steve Garrett. You're listening to Corvette Today, the podcast. I'm your host, Steve Garrett. My special, special guest, Mr. Harlan Charles, the product manager for Corvette. I am so glad to have you on, Harlan. Let's talk about the brand new mid-engine C8 Corvette. This has been 60 years in the making since Zora wanted to do this in the late 50s, early 60s. Did the design concept take longer to develop once you moved the engine basically from the front to the rear? I mean, it's a whole new Corvette. Yeah, it's an all-new Corvette, and to be honest, it was very controversial in the beginning. It had a very long period. We actually, a lot of people may not know, but we actually had a program that was canceled early on. But I think what happened was that program really cemented that that was the future for Corvette. Now, me, like maybe some of you that are listening, grew up thinking that the mid-engine Corvette was always the next thing in the future. We always were reading about it, that it was going to happen someday. They had all these great concept cars, the serve concepts, all the way to, I remember the 86 Indy car, Corvette Indy which was a great car. Right. So I had only been on the team for a little bit. We were talking about it and we had come out with the sixth generation was introduced. And I started thinking about what the seventh generation would be, you know, I've made like a list of things, but I was at a meeting, you know, Dave Hill was our chief engineer and they started early on, you know, we would do this after the new generation came out, just started very early. What types of things would we like to do for the seventh generation? And they was talking about, you know, maybe moving the wheels slightly, you know, little evolutionary things that would try to create maybe a little bit more rearward weight bias and things like that. And I don't know, I was feeling brave that day at the meeting. And I said, why aren't we considering something more radical? You know, thinking this is my chance to be involved in an all new Corvette. And they said, well, like, what are you thinking? I go, well, what about a mid-engine? And he kind of looked and the room got really silent. <laughs> Everybody was waiting for what he would say. You know, Dave Hill, great engineer, but very authoritative. And he said, well, if Chevrolet has a different view, meaning me, you're welcome to come back to the meeting next week and present why you think your view is different from the rest of the teams. Wow. So I was like, well, okay. Now I <laughs> fell into it. I really went all out working on this pitch for mid-engine. And the more I got into it, first I started out, well, we can just show all the previous concepts that had come out, you know, the history that we had promised. And I was reading, Jerry Burton has a great book on Zora's life, Zora Augustantov and his history. And there's an interesting story about how he tried, you know, obviously with the mid-engine that you had mentioned. Right. And, but, you know, I realized as I was getting into it, the reason it always failed in the past were the same reasons it was going to fail again unless we changed something. Like, People worry about how expensive it would be. There's no space in the car. There's no luggage space. You can't do a convertible. 
There's all these things that people love in the sports cars that you're maybe some of the ultra rich are willing to give up for a fun car to go get ice cream in. But if you want a Corvette that you can drive across country and drive every day to work. So the idea I put together was this idea where we would take the current strengths of the Corvette and not lose them. You know, things like this price point uh, where more people can afford it, uh, enough space inside to take it on trips. And of course, the Corvette equity and appearance and the small block V8 and things like that. But if we could add these exotic car attributes that took it to the next level, like the proportion, of course, of the way the car looks, the performance, the rear weight bias, which helps the acceleration and the handling. We actually had Pratt & Miller do computer simulations and showed the greater rear weight bias helped all straight line as well as Nürburgring lap times. You get the great forward visibility by the low forward cowl. The other thing I thought, oh, in addition to the steering feel of the car, less weight on the front end, actually helps the car more fun to drive. But the other thing on the marketing side was uh, we really felt, I did, felt that we needed to do something to get a new generation of customers interested in Corvette. Even back then, you see, you know, the age of Corvette, you know, you go to the museum and things, people say, what are you guys doing to get younger people in? We needed to get a clean break and a new Corvette that would excite the new generation. We even did some research on that, which I'll talk about later. So I did that presentation. And ultimately, again, when I was done, it got really quiet. Everybody was waiting for Dave to say. But before Tadge Doctor was Dave's assistant, before Dave could say, he, he kind of whispered to me, he goes, nice job, you know, because <laughs> like, I think they were surprised. I think they were just thought I was going to come in and show, look how cool these cars are. We need to do something cool. Right. Like, a, you know, Lamborghini Countach or something. So we had kind of this logical approach to why, you know, how you, they, we could do a convertible, that we could do a package with space. So Dave is firm, but then he can be, you know, very, if you present a good case, it was like, you know what? He goes, I still don't know if this is the way to go, but I think you've got enough here. Let's let's start putting some packages together. So ultimately he retired though, and Tom Wallace took over and I did the same thing for him. And then we got to the point where we got a program approved that was going to be the seventh generation car and was going to come out in 2012. We were starting to work on it. And what happened ultimately was, you know, GM had the financial issues in 07, 08, bankruptcy, all that. Right. And it got canceled. I got bad news over Christmas, 2007. Tadge called me. He goes, I know we're going to ruin your Christmas, but our program got canceled. Ugh. So we were so disappointed. But ultimately, when we finally got back and things were back on our feet, we had to do a new Corvette. We decided... Let's to get a car out as soon as we can, as the sixth generation had been out for quite a while now. Right. To do a new seventh generation. Let's get part of the way there with the seventh generation. We do the all aluminum frame, get that into the plant to be able to do that. And a lot of the interior ideas, upping the materials. And they go, the, so our idea was to do a seventh generation and then ultimately the eighth generation was cemented in as a mid-engine car. So a long story, but it shows perseverance and the team. And when we did the eighth generation car, we looked a little bit about what we did the seventh. And we took some of the ideas, but mostly we started over. And so in some ways, and I think it's in a good thing that for people are getting this car, it's almost like the second generation mid-engine Corvette in terms of development. And I think that's why the car is so good, because we did that first one that didn't come out. We learned a lot from it. And then when we did this one, we were able to learn and, and make it even better than it would have been. So I think that's one of the reasons why this eighth generation Corvette is such a game changer. 
it is a game changer. I mean, it set the entire mid-engine class of cars on notice. It's beautiful. The fit and finish is just terrific. The interior has even been up from the seventh generation, and the seventh generation was a huge leap from the C6 to the C7. Let's talk a little bit more about that. But the big thing was, as I remember watching and streaming with the Corvette Club of Kansas City, Missouri, we watched the reveal on the big screen together. And when it came in, when Mark Roy said it's $59,995, everybody's jaw just dropped. That was incredible. Talk about how you can bring a brand new mid-engine car to market at $60,000 because everything else in that mid-engine class is maybe, what, $215,000, which would be probably, what, a McLaren? That'd be the lowest price point. But you're in at $60,000. That is incredible. To be honest, that was probably the biggest secret of the car. Of course, you think, well, is mid-engine the biggest secret? It was, but even a bigger secret was the price point. And very few people in the company knew, even people on the Corvette team itself, a lot of people did not know what the price point of the car was when they were working on it because we really wanted it to be a surprise. We got shocks when some of the people on the team said, that car's going to cost that? Then they'd be like, I'm going to get one of those. Right. And that was the real thing. You know, look at the luxury sports car segment. There's a mid-engine class of cars, like you mentioned, very expensive, the ones with V8s. There were very few mid-engine cars in the Corvette price range, and the few that are, you know, like mostly four-cylinder cars, you know, like the Lotus and the Porsche. Right. And they're not really on the level of performance that we are. So we thought there's a big hole in the market there for to combine the best of the expensive cars. Because when we talk to Corvette customers, you know, we'd say, what car do you want if you win the lottery? <laughs> right. You know, a lot of people are loyal. I still want my Corvette. But, you know, a lot of people are like, you know, I buy the ultimate Lamborghini or Ferrari or McLaren or something, Bugatti, something like that. And the other thing, too, we were doing this for performance as well. We didn't want to lose the market, the customer that to be able to afford it. I think that is the exciting thing because you look at the Europeans, and I'm not going to say it's easy, but it's probably a hell of a lot easier to do a supercar where you just figure out what it costs and then you add the margin to it. And here it is. It's $490,000 or whatever they charge for it. Right. Or a Ford GT that's a half a million dollars. So I talked to our team and Taj too, talked to the whole team. I think we are the only ones in the world with our experience on Corvette that could do this car, that we have the rolling screen factory and the knowledge and how to do ultimate sports cars at a more attainable price point. And I don't think anybody else can do what we do. And we really needed to take advantage of that. And then some people say, well, still, why is it more expensive? And I go, well, maybe we should ask the Italians and the Germans why they're so damn expensive. You know, no one else does. <laughs> touche, Harlan. Touche. <laughs> That's awesome. I love that. That's fantastic. Now, also, you had touched on this just a little bit, but bringing a younger, newer demographic into Corvette, was that part of the strategy with the C8? Yes, absolutely. So what we did was we did a demographics clinic back when we were working on the previous canceled program. So there was two things we did. We had, we had like two packages and we asked people to list the things, the advantages of a front engine sports car and the advantages of a mid engine sports car. And the funny thing, a lot of people that followed the theory that we had before where most people thought, well, the front engine, it's traditional, it's easy to service, it's more affordable, you know, it's has luggage space. And the mid-engine car, it was exotic, it's based on motorsports, it's the ultimate in performance, 
it was all these things which are the reasons people buy sports cars. And so we asked customers, we put these two packages together, our best guess at a future front and a mid-engine car, and asked them which one they would buy. This was mostly Corvette customers, but we had some of the competitors in there too. Like over 40, it was very close. It was like maybe slightly in favor of the mid-engine car, but it was like the debate, which one did you want? When you got under 40, it went like way skewed towards the mid-engine. Wow. So the younger people, they aspired to have the mid-engine car. And this was back, I say, 2006, 2007. So a lot of those people that may be below 40 now are right in the prime age to be our customers, you know, ready to get sports cars and stuff like that. So that's a big point. The other point I want to mention, too, is that everybody, I talk about this a lot, everybody has that moment. Like you asked that. That was a great question. You said, when did you know the Corvette was the car for you? When did you know that? And I think everybody you talk to that has a Corvette has a story. Some people, like a more traditional customer, a lot of people here, uh, I saw a 63 split window. Right. Like me, I mentioned when I saw the 84, you know, when I was in college. Yes. Those cars were big break, clean breaks from previous generations. So this car, there's an all new, you're seeing it, you know, the YouTube videos and everything. There's an all new generation that this is their Corvette moment. This is the car that made the clean break. That's the car for their generation that they're seeing and they're realizing that the Corvette could be the car for them that just has taken it to the next level. It really has. It's a wonderful car. The 2020s are rolling off the line right now, and the 2021 has been introduced with some of the new options, new colors, and the pricing stays the same as the 2020. Let's talk a little bit about what will be new for next year's Corvette. That's a great question because we've just announced this very recently, all the new 2021, and people were worried about pricing. We thought, you know, with everything going on, we weren't able to fill all the 2020 orders based on what happened. So a lot of the customers will have to order 2021s. And so we thought as a goodwill thing, we hold the base pricing over. And I think a lot of people are excited about that. That was a great move. I think that was too. So in terms of features, though, there's some new features I think people will be interested in for 2021. We have two new colors, Silver Flare, uh, which places the Blade Silver, which has been out since 2009. Right. So it's a real bright silver. And the Red Mist, again, named after if you anybody that drives on the track, we want to conjure up this Red Mist when you're driving at 10 tenths. That's what they call it. Nice. And that was kind of a play on words with the new Red Mist Metallic. And it's a replacement for the Red Tint Coat. And it's a little bit brighter and richer color. I think a lot of people are going to like that. And we also have a new interior, which is pretty interesting. It's a sky cool gray with strike yellow. Ooh. It's a mostly gray, black and gray interior where it has a little hints, yellow seatbelts, yellow stitching that really pop. And then we have new stripe colors for both. We have a racing stripe. So we added red, yellow, orange, and blue to the existing colors. And then we came out with a new stinger stripe, which is a hood stripe for somebody that wants something. What still wants a stripe, but it's a little bit more subtle. Just little pinstripes on the hood, and we have those in red, yellow, or silver accents. And then uh, another one that, you know, listen to the customers, uh, we're making magnetic ride control available without Z51. If you want the ultimate road car, you're not maybe as much of a track person. You want to get the ultimate car to drive around and travel with the magnetic ride control, FE2, we call it. Right. And then we have a wireless phone projection, Apple CarPlay and Android Auto. A lot of the Chevrolets and other GM cars and trucks are getting that. We're upgrading to that as well. And one more thing I'll bring up, a small thing, but I think it's pretty cool. When you get into your different driver modes, we've created a special screen for the driver mode selector. It basically looks like a graphic equalizer. It'll show up in your center screen as you change the different modes. 
And the neat thing about it, if you use the Z mode from the steering wheel, which is your customizable mode, you can use the touchscreen and you can set, you know, your steering, your exhaust, your suspension, right. uh, your exhaust sound. You can set all those with the touchscreen however you like it. So it makes it a lot more straightforward to use. That's a really cool feature. I love to see that. I'm a technology geek anyway, so that really sounds like a, a cool feature to add. And it's the little things that make a big difference, Harlan. Even though you think it's a small thing, Little things like that make a huge difference. I really think so. When will the order start for 2021 models? Well, it's a good question. Right now, uh, basically ordering just started. So orders, if you're interested in a 2021, talk to your Chevrolet dealer right now. They can create orders today. That's great. You know, we had the UAW strike. Then we're in the midst of this pandemic. Can you talk a little bit more about the revised plan for the global launch of the mid-engine C8? Yeah, you know, you mentioned the strike and the pandemic. I think the joke is like Zora didn't have to deal with this kind of stuff, you know. <laughs> right. And we still got the mid-engine out, but it's been a tough year and have all this happen when we're launching the all-new Corvette. But one of our plans for this car being the mid-engine attributes that it has, I think we've always felt that we could bring Corvette more across the globe and then we'll even have uh, right-hand drive versions and uh, some of those got pushed out a little bit. Our plan is still to have around the middle of next year to start launching around the world. Right now, we have, of course, U.S., Canada, Mexico, and uh, Middle East is going to start very soon. Then we'll follow up in 21 with Japan. And then in, later in the year, we'll have uh, Europe, Australia, New Zealand, and Asia. So it's really exciting to see the Corvette. There'll be fans all over the world. Let's talk real quickly about the hardtop convertible. I am so excited about this. When is that coming out? And talk a little bit more in general about what's happening in the hardtop convertible part. Yeah, so we're getting ready to start production of the new Corvette convertible in the next month. We should be going if things go to plan. So very excited there. And I have to tell you, I've been driving one of our early pre-production cars. I love convertibles anyway, but I think it's going to appeal to people who may not even consider themselves convertible people. One of the nice things about it as a hardtop convertible is that when the top's up, it's like a coupe, all the protection of it. You have a rear window that you can adjust up and down. And then just by the push of the button, 16 seconds at up to 30 miles an hour, you can lower the top very quickly. And the nice thing about it, especially somebody like me who likes to go on trips and be able to take the top down, the top stores on top of the engine. There's an aluminum pan that separates the engine from the top, and it stores in there, and it doesn't take away any of the trunk space. You know, on the new Corvette, we have two trunks, so plenty of room to go traveling in. And the nice thing about it on a convertible, even in the past convertibles, you had to rearrange it. You have to set the trunk partition. Right. You know, there were things you had to do to get it to work. Now you just push the button. You don't have to readjust any of the luggage or anything. So it's a great road trip car if you like open air. It's beautiful, both top, up, and down, obviously. And we have different options, too. You can get a body color roof, a standard. A lot of people like you can get the carbon flash roof and the cells. We call those nacelles, the fairings behind the seats. Right, on either side of the engine. Yes, yeah, so it's a very cool look that you get. And you can get those carbon flash or body color. And it really creates a, a unique look. And, you know, you look at a V8 mid-engine retractable hardtop convertible. There's really only two others. One's a McLaren and one's a Ferrari. And they're both 
three times the price of our car. Absolutely. I still think that it was a marketing coup and genius on the part of you guys coming out with a $60,000 mid-engine car and then a hardtop convertible to boot. This is going to be an incredible car. I can't wait for the hardtop convertibles to come out. And Corvette Racing has been doing really good too. Let's talk about Corvette Racing with the C8 mid-engine. It won its first two races a couple weeks ago, didn't it? Yeah, that was very exciting. You know, IMSA added these two extra races, you know, trying to fill the schedule back in, the makeup, and we had one at Daytona and one at Sebring. And the three-car one at Daytona and the four-car one at Sebring. And these were the first two wins for the C8R and also the 100th and 101st win of IMSA for Corvette Racing. So very historic, and it's exciting to see the new car in the winner's circle as well. We got uh, Road America coming up soon. I think there's going to be some changes made to the schedule going forward. I think we still have the full Sebring race, the full 12 hours coming in November. But I think there are some changes coming to the rest of the schedule. But it is exciting to see the car start to win now and how great of a race car it is. The drivers are excited. The team's excited. And with everything going on this year, it's nice to see the Corvette win these races against Porsche and BMW and, and everybody. It really was. I'm so excited because we came in number one and number two. That's a great start. It's got to mean good things for us in the future as well. I'm glad you mentioned that. The one and two in the last race at, at Sebring is some people are like, are they just going to let one car parade to the finish? No, they were trying. The three car was trying the best to catch up to the four car. It reminded me of, I think it was a few years ago at Daytona, 24 hours, the cars finished within a second of each other. And then the thing about our team, you know, Doug Feehan, our race director, he said, just don't hit each other, but you guys can race and try to win. We're doing this for the fans. People want to see racing. So even if it's between the two Corvettes, they're still race drivers and they want to win. Right. At that point, they're racing against each other. If they're both one and two, they're trying to come in first. Exactly. You know, funny backstory. I got to meet Oliver Gavin, you know, one of our drivers. Right. I think it was when we were doing the Grand Sport introduction in 2017. Taj and I were talking to him about that close finish at Daytona. And they go, you guys are really at it. And he goes, we really wanted to watch. Because when you win the Rolex 24-hour, you get the Rolex watch. Yes. They wanted to watch. That's why they were <laughs> racing so hard. <laughs> that's great. I thought that was cool. That's great. That was a cool perspective on it. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> Harlan, you've been with Corvette for over 20 years. What has been your proudest moment in the 20 years that you've been working on this car? I have to say the proudest moment, and you had mentioned it before, was that reveal we did in California at the hangar in Tustin, finally getting to show this car that's been in the works, like I've said, for a lot of us for years, a lot of people on the team have worked with for years. For some of us, like me, been dreaming about it since that 05 presentation with Taj and just to see the reaction to certain things, like you mentioned, the pricing and some of the other features. When he said zero to 16 under three seconds, people are like, oh, my gosh, what we call a Corvette Stingray or a standard Corvette can do the fastest, you know, Corvettes that have ever been made from zero to 60. And then when people saw the cars that were on display, the interiors and just the reaction a lot of the customers, let's be honest, you know, there's a lot of Corvette faithful. Some, I think, were excited about it right away. There were some that were just worried, you know, skeptical a little bit, wanted to see it first. And just to see their whole attitude change when they saw the cars in the flesh was such a proud moment. And that's something I'll remember my whole life. Because I think Corvette, it's not just a car. It's part of American culture. It's even if people don't have Corvettes, Corvettes is always part of the news. It's like the famous movie star 
that you always hear the tabloids talk about. Corvette is, I think, the car version of that. And to make a big change like that in a car that's been such a success, it's easy to change something that's not doing well. We changed something and made it better that was already a success and take that risk and do it and have it come out to the rave reviews we've been getting, like winning, you know, the North American Car of the Year, Motor Trend Car of the Year, all these awards. It's like can't win the Stanley Cup in hockey or the Super Bowl trophy or an Oscar from Hollywood. But for people in the auto industry or people like us, to win these awards is the thing that's closest for us. And then to see the customers love it when they're getting their cars now and getting deliveries. And I get the messages and I see on the social media all the customers that say, you guys hit it out of the park, Grand Slam home run. Because one of the things I mentioned that chart back in 05 where I had take the Corvette attributes and add the mid-engine supercar attributes and put them together. Right. I had this little picture. I think it was Sammy Sosa back then hitting a home run. I said, it'll be a grand slam home run. And that's what I hear from a lot of customers and people. They go, you guys hit it out of the park. That's a home run. (laughs) And uh, I love hearing that. That was exactly the goal back then. And to see it actually come true after all this time, it's a proud moment. And even this year, it's been a tough year, but that's still the highlight that these cars are finally getting to customers and creating fun and excitement and an otherwise tough year for people. And that's what it's all about. Nobody has to have these cars, but these cars add to your life. I talk about the Corvettes really in my life, and a lot of people, like you are enthusiasts. The Corvettes really add to people's life. You create, you meet people, you create associations, and the car itself, driving it, and the fun and excitement it does, it really enhances and fulfills dreams of people all over the country and then all around the world as well. So that's my proudest moment. I agree. Corvette is a lifestyle, I think, Harlan. And I remember watching the reveal and getting goosebumps. I, I remember the hair on my arms standing up. I had a proud moment myself, just like I was a proud father, but it was so exciting. It was so electric. It literally, it gave me goosebumps. It was so cool. And everybody in the room, and we have over 200 members of the Corvette Club of Kansas City, Missouri, everybody was standing up and applauding, and it was just an incredible moment, and we weren't even in Tustin. So that was a pretty cool deal. Well, that's my point itself about car culture. What other car would have a watch party with hundreds of people watching a reveal of a car? That's what's amazing about it. It really was. It was so much fun. We had a great night. We had our meeting. We had dinner. We watched the reveal. Couldn't have been better. Any closing thoughts for us, Harlan? This has been terrific. I can't tell you how much I appreciate you taking the time to do our podcast. Any closing thoughts? Yeah. You know, when you talk about proud moment, I just like to add one thing. You know, I think the Corvette, to me, it's a lot of pride. It represents America. And I think this Corvette is the proof point that we as Americans can build a world-class product that competes with the best in the world and win. And I think we all should have a lot of pride for Corvette. Whether you own one or not, you should be prideful that we are able to do this accomplishment. It's America's car. It's America's sports car. It's wonderful. And I'm a proud owner of a Corvette C7 Stingray. Our guest today, Harlan Charles, the product manager for Corvette on Corvette Today. Harlan, thanks again for taking the time to be on the podcast. I really appreciate your time. It's been wonderful talking with you. Yeah, it's been great for me. Thanks a lot for all those great questions, and let me tell my story. Thanks once again to our flagship sponsors, Hendrick Chevrolet of Kansas City and MidEngineCorvetteForum.com, and thank you for listening to Corvette Today. You've been listening to Corvette Today with Steve Garrett. If you'd like to contact Steve with any thoughts on the podcast or ideas for guests on Corvette Today, 
you can email him at stevegarrettdj at gmail.com. That's stevegarrettdj at gmail.com. Garrett has two R's and two T's. Or connect with Steve on social media on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram using at stevegarrettdj. Thanks again for listening to Corvette Today.